Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grace to All with Paul Gray. Glad you all were able to join me. Even though I can't see you, I, a lot of times you tell me who's listening, let me know afterwards or whatever, and I'm grateful for that. It's always fun to know who's listening. If you're listening to this on a podcast or watching it on YouTube and you haven't yet, please subscribe to whatever it is that you're listening to. And if appropriate, leave a comment or two, especially likes on Facebook, because that's what drives up the algorithm of people watching these. If they're searching for something about grace or unconditional love or something like that, the more times people subscribe and like and comment, the higher the odds are that they'll be directed here. So I'd appreciate you doing that. All right. When I'm recording this, which is a few months before you guys will be watching and listening, we're just getting ready to start March Madness in basketball. And I live in Lawrence, Kansas, the basketball mecca of the world, where the inventor of basketball, James Naismith, first came to the University of Kansas in the 1880s as a chaplain and to also specifically to develop some type of exercise thing that the students could do in the winter when they couldn't be outside in the Kansas winter. So he brought basketball here. He just invented it maybe a year or two before he came. And he was the first basketball coach at KU. We've only had six or seven, and he's the only one with a uh, losing record. <laughs> so at any rate, you can see from this Jayhawk on my shirt, if you're watching on YouTube, that I am, in fact, a Kansas Jayhawk fan. Well, I say all that to get to this point. When we get to this season, March Madness, it's called Do or Die. You have to win to keep on playing. You lose one game in the big tournament and you're out. So it's called Do or Die. And there are a lot of things in the Bible that talk about death that maybe mean something than what we're really been taught to mean death is. For example, starting with Adam and Eve, whether they were two real people or whether they were a composite picture of mankind doesn't make any difference to me. The point that comes from the story is what's important. So when God said to them, look, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. Well, they ate and they didn't die. I mean, they lived for hundreds of years. Or did they die? Well, you can justify that by saying, well, of course, after hundreds of years or so, they died. But maybe that's not what God was talking about. Maybe the death that they had was not physical, but it was rather a death to their knowing who God really was, what he was like, and dying to the fact that they were already included in Christ, were one with 
Papa, Jesus, and Grace, and didn't have to do anything to gain his favor, and thus entering into a spiritual death, if you would, that not only affected them, but was passed on, I don't think physically, but was passed on by the teaching of people forever until Jesus came, and then unfortunately by people who didn't get it when Jesus came and still being passed on today. So there's that spiritual kind of death. The Apostle Paul talks about that when he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is his young understudy. Paul started the church in Ephesus. Paul was the senior pastor, if you would, of that church. He wouldn't have gone by that title. Churches then didn't have buildings like we do today. They didn't have all the committees and different things like we do today. They didn't have the rituals that we do today. They certainly had some traditions like baptism and taking communion. But the early church was very much different than what we have come to think church is today. So Paul was writing to Timothy at the time. Paul had left Ephesus, and he apparently left Timothy in charge. And Timothy was the pastor there, but he was very young. So Paul, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 6, Paul's talking about older men and women and how they relate to and teach younger men and women and the different things like that. And he's talking about not a specific woman, but a case of where women could be in where they were not, they were part of the church, but they weren't living like it. They weren't acting uh, like it. And he writes this, he said, she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Dead while you live. So we know the death he's talking about there can't be a physical death, can it? Dead is a New Testament idiom, which means you don't experience the relationship that Jesus came for you to have. You don't experience the zoe, Z-O-E, zoe life, That was a word that the New Testament, the first church, used. It was a Greek word, and it meant a different kind of life than a physical life or any other kind of life. It meant the God kind of life that was full of joy and health and good relationships and all of those things. Now, here's some other times in the New Testament that talk about death. By the way, I'm not talking about death today because it's a morbid thing at all, and you'll see that. In uh, Matthew eight twenty two, some people were listening to Jesus, and they said, hey, we like what you're saying. We believe in you. You travel around everywhere. We want to come and join you. But we can't right now because uh, somebody died, and we got to go back and bury him. And Jesus said this interesting thing. He said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, isn't that an interesting phrase? If you are dead, how can you bury somebody that is dead. I hope you're seeing by now that a lot of the things that we read in Scripture, if you read them from a flat, literal letter of the law word, you're going to totally miss out on what's going on. Dead people can't bury dead people. I mean, that should be obvious. He's talking here spiritually. He's saying, look, you guys are alive. You're getting it. I'm God in the flesh. I'm here If you want to live a real life, Zoe life, come on and follow me and let those who are not here yet, those who are still spiritually dead, let them take care of burying the dead people. You come with me. we got more important things to do. Now, 
if you are spiritually dead, how can you make yourself spiritually alive? I'll wait. (laughs) You can't. If you're dead physically, you can't make yourself physically alive. If you're dead spiritually, you can't make yourself spiritually alive. You're dead. Let's look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, 14. He's talking about God here, or speaking for God. He says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Awake, you who are asleep, and Christ will give you light. Light's not physically contrasted with death. It's physically contrasted with darkness, darkness and light, not darkness and death. But he does here. He said, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And he's saying here, people who are asleep mentally and spiritually, arise from that, and Christ will give you light and life. All right. Colossians 2.13, Paul says this, You, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. God made, until you knew him, God made you alive together with him and forgave you all your trespasses or sins. A couple of more scriptures, and then we're going to get into the meat of the scripture for today. Paul wrote this, and this is one of my favorite passages, one of my go-to passages to uh, legitimize, if you will, the fact that God's unconditional love is for everybody, that we're already all in Christ, that grace is for everybody, that everybody's included and nobody's outside, and that sin is no problem anymore with God. And actually, it never was. Second Corinthians five fourteen to 21. This is from the New King James. Paul says, now these are things that Jesus himself revealed to Paul. He says, the love of Christ compels us. He said, this is why we do what we do. This is what's so important in life. This is what makes us get up every day and do what we do. The love of Christ compels us because we judge this way. If Christ died for all, then all died. And he died for all. Now, all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, he says, we regard no single person according to the flesh. We don't judge people by their actions or what they say, what they do, even what they believe. He said, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, and of course, judged him incorrectly, Paul was the chief of that, he said, yet we now know him no longer. He says, therefore, now this says, if should be since, therefore, Since everyone is in Christ, they are new creations. The old things have passed away. The old creation, the old spiritually dead life has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the word things is not there. All people, all people have become new creations. New creations that are alive spiritually. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. God did this. We didn't do it. 
All this is from God who has already reconciled us to himself, not counting anyone's sins or trespasses against them, and has committed to us now the ministry of reconciliation. We know it now, so he has committed to us the ministry to go out and tell other people, to tell other people that they're already in Christ. They're already new creations. They're already one with God. God doesn't keep track, doesn't keep a record of anybody's sins or hold them against him. So he says in verse 20, Now, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We're doing it, but it's like God's doing it through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Know that you're reconciled to God. Come to that understanding. For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus went into the deepest darkness of every single person and literally became all of our sin and took it away, died with it. When you're spiritually dead, living in the darkness of the world's doctrinal system of darkness and not knowing the only true God, who you are and who everybody else is, you don't experience Zoe life. But Jesus died, took all of our sins with us, took away the sin of the world, and then he rose again. We died with him, Scripture says, and we rose with him, and we Well, we're going to see where we went when that happened. One other scripture, Romans 6, 23. Paul says, the wages of sin, and you know by now that word is the Greek word harmartia, which doesn't mean what we think it means today. It meant, in the original terms when they wrote it, it meant missing the mark of knowing who God is. It meant being caught up in religion's dark concept of an angry, punitive, list-keeping God who couldn't stand to be around you and who hated you and was going to punish you forever if you didn't say some magic words. He said, the wages of that, the wages of being caught up in that is death. The same kind of death that the woman had that Paul said, even though she still lives, the same kind of death that Jesus said people have when he said, let the dead bury the dead, the same kind of death that Adam and Eve had for years before they physically died. The wages of missing the mark of who God is and who you are and who everybody else is, seeing yourself and everybody else after the flesh, seeing Jesus, God, after the flesh, missing who people are, the wages of that is death. It's missing It's not experiencing the life that Jesus came for us to have. But the rest of that verse said, the good news, the free gift of Christ, the free gift of God in Christ, is eternal life, which doesn't mean you go to heaven when you die. The actual words when they wrote it meant the life of the ages, the Zoe life, the kind of special life that God has, that Jesus came to give us all, the life abundant, That's the kind of life that we experience when we come alive, when we're not dead to understanding who God is. Now, when we're dead to that, of course, we act out because we don't know what our true identity is. We're going to lie and cheat and steal and hurt other people. Anytime we do that, even those of us who know our true identity, anytime we do that, we're momentarily not living out of who we already are. 
Now, here's what we're going to be studying for a little bit for today and for the next few weeks. Ephesians chapter 2. We took a few weeks and went through Ephesians 1, which is absolutely all good news. So is Ephesians 2. So here's the good news that Paul writes about. This is from the Mirror Translation, Ephesians 2, verse 1. He says, picture where God found us. Think about it. See, get in your mind where God found you. We were in a death trap of an inferior lifestyle, constantly living below the blueprint measure of our lives. Other translations say, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were still alive physically, but where God found us, we were, it's, you know, Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, and he found us all. When he found us, all of mankind, and including us, we were in a death trap of an inferior lifestyle living below the blueprint measure of our lives because we didn't yet know the truth. Verse 2, we were all part of a common pattern, swept along under a powerful, invisible influence, a spirit energy that adopted us as sons to its dictate through unbelief. I had somebody question me the other day about, I, I talked about everybody had been made right with God we were all righteous with God. And this person who's a Christian and been involved in church said, well, where does it say that in the Bible? And I said, well, it says that in Romans three twenty four. And of course, there were no verses then or chapters or anything like that. Here's what the entire phrase is. Everyone was dead in their trespasses and sins and missed the mark of God's glory. Now, there's only one word there, harmartia, that says you miss the mark of knowing who God is. But it's been translated into English with several words saying you've fallen short of the glory of God. And that's been used by religion to beat people over the head and to come up with the four spiritual lies, I mean the four spiritual laws, to come up and say everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, everybody. So you got to do something to get right. Well, the very next part of the sentence, which is in our Bibles, in Romans 3.24, says, the same everybody, the same all people, have now been made right with God, justified by God in Christ Jesus. We don't hear that taught, though, unfortunately. And when I told this person that, they couldn't believe me. And then they went to the Bible and went, whoa, where did that come from? All right. We were all part of a common pattern, swept along under a powerful, invisible influence, a spirit energy that adopted us as sons. That's just a phrase that they brought us into the gang, if you will, and then started dictating what life was like through their laws and regulations. So we were spiritually dead in that mindset of not knowing who we were, who God was. That's where we were. And everybody was there. Verse three, throughout that time, every one of us were warped and corrupted in our conduct 
See, that's what happens when we don't know who God is and who we are and who everybody else is. We were warped and corrupted in our conduct, snared in a jumble of forbidden lust, driven by the desires of the senses, totally engaged in an expression of life ruled by mind games. It was as if a twisted passion parented a universal breed of people. I'm going to read that again. Throughout that time, every one of us were warped. Now, Paul's talking here about when he was still under the law, who was into religion, who believed God was not good, but rather was punitive, vindictive, list-keeping, and all that. And the only way you could get and stay right with God was to keep all the laws. He said, throughout that time, every one of us were warped and corrupted in our conduct, snared in a jumble of forbidden lust, driven by the desires of the senses, totally engaged in an expression of life ruled by mind games. And that's what religion does to you. It plays tricks with your mind. It says things like, well, yes, God is good, but he's going to burn you forever if you don't happen to hear about him and get the magic words right. That's a mind game. And when people really start to think about that and are willing to give up what they've held so dear that they've been taught by religious leaders, you realize that's a mind game. He says it was as if a twisted passion parented a universal breed of people. Verse 4, none of this could distract from the extravagant love of God. Even though we didn't know who God was and we'd fallen short of who he was and we weren't living like it, none of this could distract from the extravagant love of God. He continued to love us with the exact same intensity. Verse 5, this is how grace rescued us. A doctrine did not rescue us. A person rescued us. Jesus rescued us. Jesus is grace in person. This is how grace rescued us. Sin left us dead towards God, missing the mark, like spiritual corpses. Yet in that state of deadness and indifference, God co-quickened us together with Christ. Sin proved how dead we were, and the law confirmed it. Grace reveals how alive we are now. The gospel announces it. Before anyone but God believed it, he made us alive together with him. You can't make yourself alive when you're dead, spiritually or physically. We were dead in our sins, but God still loved us, and grace, Christ himself, made us alive together with him and raised us up together with him. Raised us up where? Hmm. We had no contribution to our salvation. That's so important for us to know. Salvation is not a transactional thing. We don't do anything to get it. It happened before without our permission, without our asking. We had no contribution to our salvation. God's master plan unfolded in the mystery of the gospel, the good news, declaring our joint inclusion in Christ's death and resurrection. God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. This all happened before the beginning of time, and then it played out in time and space, and Jesus finished work. In the economy of God, when Jesus died, we died. God saw us in Christ. In Jesus' death and resurrection, 
before we saw ourselves there, God saw us in Christ. He declared our co-resurrection with Christ. And Francois, the translator there, references 800 BC in the book of Hosea chapter 6, verses 2. Verse 6, as much as we were co-included in Jesus' death, we are co-included in his resurrection. When Jesus died, taking all of our sins, we died with him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we rose with him to new life in Christ. We are also elevated in his ascension to be equally present in the throne room of the heavenly realm where we are co-seated with Jesus in his executive authority at the right hand of God the Father. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, because of his great love for us and his mercy, his grace raised us from the dead with Jesus when Jesus resurrected. And when Jesus ascended to the heavenly places next to the right hand of God, he took us with him. And we are right now co-seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms in Christ. We are two places at once. Or are we? Are we here and up there somewhere at the same time? Or is heaven, the kingdom of God, here and inside of us? Hmm. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. The temple of God, where the Hebrews told us God lived in the Holy of Holies, is in between these things. Paul tells us we are the temple of God, his holy temple, where he dwells. Fascinating. As much as we were co-included in his death, we are co-included in his resurrection. We are also elevated in his ascension to be equally present in the throne room of the heavenly realm where we are co-seated with him and his executive authority at the right hand of God the Father. We are fully represented in Christ Jesus. Our joint position in Christ defines us. This can never again be a distant goal to reach through religious devotion or striving but is our immediate reference. One more book for today. Ephesians 2, 7, one more verse. In a single triumphant act of righteousness, God saved us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Here we are now, revealed in Christ in the highest possible position of bliss. That's where you are. question is, do you know that? Are you living that? Are you experiencing that Zoe life? because you can. It's right there. You're there. Revealed in Christ in the highest possible position of bliss. He says, if man's sad history could not distract from the extravagant love of God, imagine how God is now able for timeless perpetuity, the eternal future, to exhibit the trophy of the wealth of his grace demonstrated in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Grace is exhibits excessive evidence of the success of the cross. Other translations say, in the ages to come and forever, God's going to continually reveal more and more of his grace to us, and we are going to reveal, we're going to understand more and more 
of who grace is, what grace is, and what that means for us. That's what's happening right now as we're talking about grace to all. We are partnering with God and revealing what the Holy Spirit of grace in us has shown us, that we are all in Christ, that Jesus took all of our sins away, that we are absolutely right with God, righteous, that we are already one with God, one with Christ, in the heavenly realms, which is inside of us and all around us. Quantum physics shows us that. And nothing can ever separate us from that. Friends, there's two words for that. Good news. That's what this is. Most of us have been taught a version of the gospel that Paul says is not the gospel. It's a false gospel. Any gospel, any good news that says God can't stand you, can only barely come in contact with you if you're covered with the blood of Christ because he can't see you. Any gospel that says God is punitive, list-keeping, can't wait to punish you if you get things wrong. Any gospel that says that God, who is all love, could even conceive, let alone create a place of eternal conscious torment where he would supernaturally keep people, his own children, alive so he could torture them forever, either because they never heard of him or because they didn't say the magic words or because they did something wrong after that or because he just didn't love them to begin with and didn't elect them to have the kind of life we've talked about. Any gospel that says those things, Paul says, is a false gospel. It's a lie. Don't believe it. You know the truth now. You know the good news. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, thanks, everybody, for being with me for this edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. I'm so happy that I get to share this good news with you all. If you haven't yet, I have a new book out called Grace to All, where I interview, and there's a couple of pages in it about all the different people that we've interviewed on this podcast. And then there are other pages uh, in between each one of those interviews that talk about and summarize these good news things that I've been talking about. You can get it online. You can get it at my website. It's in the link for today. So I think you'll be blessed by that. Thanks for being with me. Love you all. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.